Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasting from the top of the rocks. This is News on the Rocks with Patty Steele. So one of my favorite things about this podcast is the fact that we get to drink together because, you know, when you're having something to drink, there's sort of like this magic that happens. Now, the funny thing is... You arrived a little early, and we started drinking a little early. So here we are. I am with Vince Giordano, who is, you know, here. I got to start by reading some of the stuff you've done, which um, blew me away. All right. If you want to say hi, you can say hi. Hi, this is Vince. Thank you so much, Patty, <laughs> for having me on. You know, the the early bird gets the worm, right? And the uh, second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> The second mouse. Yes. <laughs> Why the second mouse? Well, the first mouse is in the trap there. You know. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. very good thinking. I didn't really think of that. Okay. So here's the thing about Vince. I, I knew that I was fascinated with him because I had gone to see a performance of Vince Giordano and your band, the Nighthawks, mm-hmm. at, uh, I think it's called Iguana NYC. Yes. On West 54th in the city. Correct. And a friend of mine, um, he didn't have to twist my arm too much to make me to go because I because I had grown up in a family that was very musical. My dad was a jazz pianist. My mom is singer. And so I said, yeah, this would be kind of cool because this is music of the 20s, 30s, maybe a little 40s. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll go watch it. And I was like blown away. So then I start reading about you and I discover... That not only are you a Grammy winner, a multi-instrumentalist. I like that. That's on your <laughs> website. But you've played not only in New York nightclubs, but you've been in films. And I don't want to read this whole thing, but I sort of do. The Cotton Club, The Aviator. I love that. I loved Finding Forrester. <laughs> Revolutionary Road, Cafe Society. You did HBO's Boardwalk Empire. You've done concerts at Town Hall, Jazz at Lincoln Center, Newport Jazz Festival, 92nd Street Y. Um, you recorded stuff for Boardwalk Empire and even helped them kind of recreate that period look mm-hmm. by just filling them in because you're a historian as well as a musician. Yeah. You had vocalists like Elvis Costello, Patti Smith, Regina Spector, Leon Redbone, my oh. absolute favorite, favorite. I just absolutely love him. Eliza Minnelli, Rufus Wainwright, David Johansson. 
You've recorded also for Ghost World, The Savages, De Niro's The Good Shepherd, Away We Go, Sam Mendes, uh, Michael Mann's Public Enemies. You did Grey Gardens for HBO, Mildred Pierce. I mean, it's incredible how much. Also music for The Joker, for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm. um, and, the, and The Irishman. You were you said you did some vocals for the Irishman, I did right? A little vocal in it. I can't find it, but they gave me a credit. I was there. <laughs> I'll take it. He says. All right. And then I guess this autumn you're going to be releasing in a recording with Loudon Rain Wainwright the third. Yeah. And and here's the fascinating. Oh, and there's a documentary about you. Oh yeah. I don't think I've ever met someone who had a documentary completely about them. While they're alive. There's right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> there's a future in the past. That's a great name, Vince Giordano. Future in the past, which, by the way, you can stream on Amazon Prime Video. So, all of this leads me to ask the question: You're a child of the '50s. Yeah. How on earth? Did you get interested in music of the 20s and 30s? Well, it's a long story. I'll, I'll tell it as fast as I can. Uh-huh. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, raised out in Long Island. And every holiday, we would venture back to Brooklyn to the grandparents' house because the whole family would gather there. Sure. And uh, on the way in, we only had AM radio to listen to. And you'd be listening to... Um, how much is that little doggy in the window and all <laughs> oh my papa and things like that. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is before rock and roll got even involved. So there was no energy. There was just kind of, I hate to say the word, but schlock. <laughs> yeah. Just... And uh, I'd get to the grandparents' house and I would make a beeline for the old phonograph. The old, and how old were you at this point? Five years old. Five years old. <laughs> and Maybe. she showed me how to wind up the machine carefully, not break the spring, right. take these shellac discs and carefully put them on the on the turntable and sit there for hours and listening to music of the jazz age. She was a big Al Jolson fan. She had a lot of uh, jazz records. She had a couple Louis Armstrong OKs and uh, even a King Oliver uh, Brunswick. And that was my music. That was my calling. And coming ho- home every day from school, this feeling and this... <clears throat> I don't know, this great feeling would be uh, uh, amplified by watching old black and white cartoons that was on Betty Boop. Time. Betty Boop. The <laughs> Total Fla- 20s girl. <laughs> the Flasher cartoons, the yeah. Warner Brothers, and you hear these jazzy soundtracks. And I would stay up and try to get, get up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to hear an old 1932 or 33 soundtrack that was playing on the late, late, late show. Right. It used to make my parents crazy. Yeah. So that's Kind of in a nutshell, how I got involved. Did anybody in your family, um, were they into music? Like, other than your grandmother loving to listen to it, did anybody create music? No. No, they all uh, appreciated music, and uh, but no one made any attempts to uh, learn an instrument or sing or do any of that. It's almost... It's almost the unanswerable question. Where did that come from in that little tiny boy Mm. that you're listening to that and your soul just related to that and you wanted to be a part of that and it wasn't even your generation of music. It was just something you heard and just developed an incredible passion for. Your parents supported that passion? Well, they questioned it. They uh, <laughs> they would listen and they said, what are you listening to this stuff for? That's grandma and grandpa's music. Because, yeah. you know, they were another generation. They'd be 
listening to music of the 40s and 50s. That was their right. youth, uh, right. Sinatra and uh, the big bands of the later time period. So, And I was this weird kid with all my friends running around out there in Long Island. They would say, oh, there goes Vince with that Little Rascals music or that <laughs> cartoon music. That's what they would call me. Right. Cartoon right. man, you know, or something. I said, fine, fine. Well, it's interesting because, like, now, kids today actually have access to all different genres of music. But back then, unless you had a grandma that had all of those those records that you could access, there wasn't a lot of place to hear that kind of stuff. You know, in a broader sense, it's one of the things we think about, whether we're raising kids, we are a kid, whatever it is, we're all looking for our passion. And once we find it, which is the trick... We're trying to figure out a way to channel it and make it into something that not only satisfies our soul, but also can we can maybe make a, a living with. Because the greatest thing in the world is to work at something that you also love. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? What did you? How did you take that five-year-old sensibility and turn it into this guy that has done all of that? <laughs> well, in the words of Winston Churchill, uh-huh. never, never. Never give up. No, truly. Um, no, that's it's true. It's true. But I mean, uh, I mean, there was a lot of hard knocks, and I would get a lot of flack from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, "What are you doing with this stuff?" And, right. Uh, I mean, you know, in 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 keeping a career happening, I would have to do other things sometimes too. What'd you um, do? What kind of thing? Uh, well, like when the uh, graduation time, my I had let my grades slipped so bad that I wasn't able to go to really go to college. So I joined the Navy. I mm-hmm. joined the Navy band. And it was it was a wonderful experience. It was the Navy show band, uh-huh. which really prepared me for leading my band. But I got into it for what it was and right. uh, did the job the best I could. And and then when I got out, we did some weddings, you know, with the band and occasionally people would ask for some. So you put a band together? Yeah. You know, yeah. On the experience of mm-hmm. what I had with the, the show band. Right. You know, music stands, lights, books, personalities of crazy musicians that right, get them together. Right, right. Details, you yeah. know, getting people all around, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I did a lot of music that I really didn't want to do, uh-huh. but I had to do. Sure. Being a, being a professional bills. to pay the bills. Yeah. And um, so you get a, a lot of flack from musicians saying, you know, we don't want to play music from that time. Mm-hmm. We want to play more modern jazz or play our own compositions. Sure. And, uh, and some public, you know, would be, you know, hard on me too for that. And I said, well, this is what I do. What this is what I do. It's like when you go to a certain restaurant, whether it's an Italian restaurant or French restaurant, this is what you get at, at a certain restaurant. And right. I, I always look at food that way. And um, and the person who's preparing that food is very passionate about it. Maybe he'd like to cook up another kind of meal or mm-hmm. another kind of genre of food, but he's into that. And that's what you go for you know do what you do best right. and uh, and just go for it and uh, loss of money loss of relationships you know you name it all these little things can uh, in, in trying to achieve your goal can kind of erode uh, things that are around you well it can erode but i think in some ways it also helps sharpen 
your view because you begin to see what matters and what doesn't matter. I have a strange philosophy in life, which mm-hmm. we talked about. It's it's called negative positive energy. Right. And negative positive energy. So what the heck is that? Well, it's sort of like being on a springboard, you know, when you're you know going to dive into a pool and you're, and that's me yeah. just really getting upset that I can't get this done or I want to get something that's far beyond my means and I'm springing and springing it and I dive into that pool. Yeah. But it was the negative energy that made it positive for made me to to put two years into a project or 30 years into trying to get clarinet megaphones for the band, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Most people say, forget it. I'm on to do something else. I'm just going to play a CD and hear the music. You know, right, no, right. I, have to, I have to do this. This is all important to me. What I hear in recorded performances from the 20s and 30s is just at a level that's unattainable by me. I'll never reach that. I'll never get to where I want to be. But that's I'm, the beauty of it, reaching for it. And I will never be happy. Yeah. And that's the way I live. Yeah. That's the way I live. It's That's it, you know. What would happen if you were happy, do you think? I couldn't handle it. Yeah. It's just, uh, I've been, I've been, <laughs> whatever. I, I don't want this to turn into a woe and woe is me. No, kind of no. Thing. I think it's. I think it's artistic nature. I don't yeah. think there's. I don't think it's a negative. Actually, I, I think what Edison said: "Show me a content and uh, you know a satisfied man, and I'll show you a lost man." Mm-hmm. You know, something to that effect. I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas. I, but he's my god, and yeah. um, and he just kept striving right to, right to the end. You know. Well, I think, I mean, to me, that's the lesson we all should take away from people like you or Edison is that. It doesn't matter what, where you get in life, if you think you've learned everything, if you think you have perfected mm-hmm. whatever it is you pursue, yeah. that's when you start the spiral down. Absolutely. Because you're not building forward. You're yeah. not saying, there's always more. Mm-hmm. I, you look at that shining hilltop mm-hmm. and you keep working towards that. Yeah. I, I, I understand that feeling. I've been compared to Sisyphus, you know, the, the guy with the, with the big boulder keeping yes. going up and down the hill every day yeah. <laughs> there it is <laughs> you keep i'm gonna keep doing it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i think good artists really very good artists are adept at creating something that is is lovely to listen to but great artists are really obsessed with every element and it doesn't matter if you're a filmmaker whatever it is you are creating mm-hmm. I, you know I was reading an interview with someone who um, with the guy that created the show Mad Men mm-hmm. and one of the things I loved is that he was obsessed with everything in a scene. So it wasn't just a scene of two actors or people that were dressed in, you know, the early 60s Madison Avenue garb. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that somebody over in the corner, a woman might dig into her purse and pull out one of those and, and some of the people in the room wouldn't remember this, but I do and you probably do. Our mothers used to have plastic rain hats that were like accordions and they would fold up and they could keep them in their purse. And if it was raining, you would open up that clear plastic and Mm -hmm. put it over your head and tie it around your chin to protect your hairdo. And 
And that was one of the things that he talked about, how every single element, whether it was the kind of stockings someone wore or the, you know, the kind of slip she wore under her dress, mm-hmm. that was essential to him in creating that scene. And that's what I see with you. Did Was that something your parents gave you? Is that something that's just unique to your personality? It's unique to to me, I guess. I know I know other people who have that same oh, sure. feeling. It's attention to detail. Yeah, it's attention to detail. You have to do something, but you have to do it as best you can. And yeah. you say, well, let's see, was that really the way it was? And and it, you know, and we we try to get as close as possible to what we hear on these old recordings. Right. And because uh, a lot of times when we were doing some of these films. Uh, they were first given the, the, the 78 RPM right. uh, MP3s. Mm-hmm. So the producers, the directors, the writers, they've all listened to this. They've all studied it. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, we, we've signed on to this recording. We want it exactly like this, except in high fidelity now, without right, the scratches right. and all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, we'd have to change sometimes the, the keys for different singers that sang with us. We had... Uh, Kathy Breyer singing uh, Sophie Tucker, and uh, sometimes Sophie's keys were different. Or, right, right. Um, so, you know, but, and we would play the recording at the session. The guys would lock in and uh, and say, well, let's see the way the guy hit the drum, drum here. And, and you hear the way the vibrato on the saxophone is, and you hear the muted trumpet, and it's nice and short and clipped and sweet. And the way the musicians sang on their instruments, they sang, yeah. you know, versus they just, they didn't play the music like this, like, yes, we're making a record for you today. Right. No, they had this expression. The soul. The soul, and that yeah. was part of the era. Mm-hmm. The the music is a reflection of the times, and the times was a reflection of the music. Just watching those old f- films, the way they mm-hmm. people moved, and and people were just so much more optimistic and upbeat. Right, maybe a little naive, but they had lots of fun. Yeah. They had less, but they had more. So it's interesting. You said something to me when we spoke uh, last week that stuck with me. And and I can see it as both a positive and a negative. You said, you know, the hard part is if you play Mozart, nobody has a recording or a video of Mozart and how he would have approached a piece of music. Yeah. For you, what you are going after is a sound that is still out there that can be heard and even video of how these people looked and created, because that's all a part of what you do, yeah. a very important part of what you do. So I guess there's a negative and a positive to that. Negative positive energy. <laughs> so what's the negative of having that stuff there? Well, you know, these musicians and singers, they had a very high standard and they set for what I call big shoes to fill yeah. because they've put their imprint on the film or the recording. And you listen to that. I said, oh my God, listen to that energy. Listen to the quality that they're... Uh, producing their their solos or the the tightness of the band the the whole integrity everybody on that recording is into it 300% because at that time when they were doing it it was the music of the time it was like the right. rock and roll of yeah. the, I hate to use that but I'll have to use that No I know what you mean it was that yeah. genre yeah. that was their that was their time Yes and it was very important Well you fast forward you know 80, 90, 100 years later, mm-hmm. well, p- 
people are different. You know, they maybe they're not feeling that same feeling when you go into a recording studio or make a film. So you've got to kind of get people enthused. You get musicians. Do you enthused. get them enthused by getting really demanding, or do you get them enthused by playing with them? And, you know, kind of teasing them into it because there is something unknowable mm. about recreating a sound from a different period. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, you can't come too hard on the mm -hmm. folks, but I have to emphasize to the folks that are there with me that this is important. This is really important that we come up to the standards that are our previous... Uh, yeah, that you hear on... On the, on the recordings, yeah. And uh, and try to... Let's try it again. Let's try to get a little bit more intense. Yeah. And I and I do my Richard Burton, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes, if, if you want to hear, you know, uh, Shakespeare. Right. Do you want to hear me say, what fools ye mortals be? Or, what fools ye mortals be? Right. <laughs> you know, okay. That's the same... Put yourself into same it. Same bunch of words. Yeah. It's Shakespeare. How, how many years has Shakespeare been yeah. gone? But it's what you put into it. Yeah. It's not just the recitation. Yeah. Whether it's notes or words. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. you, is there anything, as you look back at your long and fascinating career, is there anything you... Um, I don't want to say feel badly about or regret, but but sort of wish you had done, or anything you um, wish you wish you hadn't done. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's plenty of that. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have started earlier, like collecting music and meeting more people while they were still alive. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you've was, been doing it a long time. I have been, but I should have been more intense. I really got intense like in the 70s. And there was a lot of people still around from those years. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot more people in the 50s and 60s that were around in the 1920s and 30s. That would I love to, to meet, but... I was too much of a kid. You're you know, a kid. I was going to say, you can't be too hard on yourself. No, I was out there playing baseball. Yeah, playing baseball and, you know, delivering newspapers and stupid stuff like that. But so I wish I would have paid more attention mm -hmm. to to the music and uh, what really what I was set out to be. I knew I I knew where I was going, right. but it just took me longer to to uh, to realize it and really go full steam ahead. What are the things that you look back on and you're and you are most proud of or most pleased that you seized on at the right time? Well, some of the accomplishments that uh, that I have done that I'm proud of is the amassing all the music that I have. I've got something like sixty thousand. Yeah, well, you have a house next door to your house that you store all your music. Well, your music it, in. it's stored in both houses. I live with it and. and don't live with part of it uh -huh. and 60,000 arrangements and about 41,000 wow. pieces of sheet music. And it's all cataloged in filing cabinets. I got about 86, 87, five drawer filing cabinets. And each, how much of it do you access? To uh, use? All of it. I mean, I mean, I mean, I go into it. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's music in there that I will never play uh -huh. uh, because I'm just running out of time and <laughs> and maybe there's no demand for it. And maybe some of it is not that good anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not one of these guys that, oh, it's old. It's got to be golden. Right. No, they wrote 
some stuff that was questionable right, back right. then. But my whole thing is to rescue it and preserve it. Mm-hmm. And um, So this is mostly purely sheet music that you... Uh, sheet music and uh, dance band orchestrations and that you give to the band and also silent picture movie music too wow. that I cleaned out a lot of theaters. I cleaned out the Ambassador Theater wow. in St. Louis wow, wow, wow. and uh, spent, I don't know how many, three, four weeks there with 900 boxes of music and covered with coal dust. And uh, wow. I was just, you know, I, I think our little pieces in the film that, like Boardwalk and The Aviator and Cotton Club. Um, Hopefully, it introduced this great vintage music to more young people because that's one of my main things. You've got to get young people Mm -hmm. to hear some classical music, some American popular song, and some jazz. Young people in kindergarten, they've got to hear what it's... So they have a point when when they grow older. Oh, I remember that yeah. That's yeah. fun stuff, yeah. Right. What do you see? What what would be your heart's desire on your bucket list? Mm. Well, a few things. I mean, um, I'd love to get into a club that I could be sort of in residency more than two nights a week and just have my stuff set up because I've got so much material that I, that I deal with. I'm, I'm the king of schlep, by the way. <laughs> you know, Paul Whiteman was the king of jazz and Benny Goodman the king of swing. <laughs> but king I'm the schlep. king of schlep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe get into some sort of uh, broadcast, podcast or something uh-huh. where... You can share this. I could share it. And even yeah. if we charge the small admission something like right two dollars something like that you know right right um i could pay my guys better and uh, <laughs> maybe make some money myself are they as passionate about this kind of music as you yeah are? you know that's because the there's some very young guys in there in your yes band. yes yeah. and uh it's it's been a real um what's the word um real awakening you know th- these people who are playing in my band sometimes as substitutes are in their 20s and 30s and right. i said where were you when i started 40 years ago right. well the answer is they weren't born yet right so uh a lot of younger musicians don't uh, view this music as older music they just thinks it's great music they just love it right and 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 that's sort of like where i was yeah you know 50 years ago. It's funny because I'm a huge history lover. Anybody that knows me knows that. And and what I love about it is understanding it not as sort of un- dusting off some something, whether it's a book or an artifact or a place, but taking a look at it as as something that um, is, is present. Mm. It's when you can find a relationship with say an historic figure or place um, that makes you feel like I could have been here. Mm. I could have done that. I think that is a big part of falling in love with that kind of thing. When you place yourself in all of that, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you play any private events? I used to, I used to do more. Uh Um, I think it would be so cool to do like a 
either a party or a wedding or something where you had that sort of that that beautiful i mean there is truly nothing more beautiful when you look back at the movies really mm-hmm. the movies of the 30s where you had the sound yeah look it, it's 2000 you want them to dance the way they do in the movies no 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 <laughs> no it's 2020 or right. you know it's newer times right and yes maybe the bride and the groom and maybe a few people appreciate what we do right but the rest of the people i see what you're saying the guests wouldn't necessarily they're at another wedding right and they want to hear top 40 music or ymca and uh, and all that stuff you know or aunt mitzi well then they don't belong at they wouldn't be at my wedding well you can't control that and no uh, i know i know and uh, it, it gets very hard um so, so they got, did you get into fisticuffs with them or? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I would just uh, have to show them my 2,500 charts that I bring. Right. And I said, look, we don't have that kind of music. Right. We just don't like. play that music. And yeah. uh, nothing against it or whatever, but that's the way it is. So if someone asked me to do a wedding today, I turned them down. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's because it, I really just don't enjoy it anymore. Right. It's a glorious celebration but you should get either a DJ or a little iPod or something to play, right. to play your wedding. As much as I love live music, it's what people are conditioned to, to these days. So that's why I love having a club mm-hmm. there. Because where, they come because they know that's what you're going to Exactly. Yeah, they're they're not going to want to hear Free Bird or, uh, or <laughs> some crazy thing that we can't possibly... I the Nighthawks doing Free Bird. Exactly. <laughs> I had a guy come up to us at a wedding, and you know, I got all this vintage stuff, you know, right. a banjo and a tube and a bass drum from 1928, and you name it. I said, You guys gonna play any rap music tonight? And I said, uh, No. I said, Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. He wanted to hear rap music. I said, Well, you know, see you later. <laughs> we're just not that kind of a band, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's amazing what people. Yeah, well, that's just kind of stupid. Sorry. (laughs) And that's why I drink. (laughs) I'm with you there on that one. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers to you. Mm. Are there other bands that do what you do? Yeah, there's a good friend of mine out in California Mm -hmm. named Don Neely and his Royal Royal Society Orchestra. That's what it is. Sorry, Don. (laughs) And um, they're trying to keep that tradition alive with the old arrangements and period vocals and things like that. Yeah. You know, the live music industry is to me like being on a rowboat from from the sinking Titanic. Mm. And there's only so many people that can be in that rowboat. Right. Everyone else is flailing around in the icy waters. Hey, let me on, let me on, let me get in here. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I I can't help you because... They'll sink us all. They'll sink us all. And... um, I got to the rowboat first, and um, and I just got to protect my turf, as Jelly Roll Morton used to do, and in his in his own way. So, I think everyone should do what they want to do and have to do. I I just I like being a lone wolf. I think it's unrealistic to think that you're going to get along with everybody simply because you do the same thing. I mean, yeah, there are part of the thing that sharpens your skills is rivalry. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't think everybody has to get along. I think you can respect that other people for their skills, but that doesn't mean that you would do it the same way or that you have to like want to sit down and have a beer with them. 
you know, you do your thing, <laughs> you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we will agree to um, disagree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah. kind of my feeling about yeah. it. I'm sorry to be so hard and callous about it, but um, that's really it's it's really a, a, a fascinating thing to see someone just find this sort of esoteric. And sorry, it is esoteric at this point. I guess you yeah, you know that, and it is. and really make it something so wonderful that even somebody like me who knew, you know, it's. I think I told you I grew up in a household where my dad played jazz piano, mm. and he was a lawyer, but he put himself through law school doing that, and then he came, would come home every night, and you knew that that's what daddy was going to do when he came home, mm-hmm. is just sit down and just sort of unleash whatever built up during the day and and play. But I never really, and he would play some of the music that he really loved, and he loved 30s, mm-hmm. 30s jazz, primarily piano. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really was fascinating to me, like I said, when our mutual friend David brought me over there and and I saw not I saw it, and I say saw it because it's it's not just about hearing it. Mm-hmm. It's visually stunning to watch the way you guys interact with one another <laughs> and what you create there, and then to see people go up and dance. Yeah, it, it was like going back in time, and, and it is really incredibly lovely. Well, music is this special thing. I, I don't know what to call it, but in my early years, I would do a lot of charity work, mm-hmm. working in mental institutions out in mm-hmm. Long Island and shut in people and people who were just all huddled. And right. We'd start a tune, some music and a couple of numbers and you'd see people start to move their head and maybe some people open their eyes and, and, and really come alive. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't tell them to, hey, you over there, open your eyes, come alive. But this force called music yes. really just change them and uh it's it's something special and a lot of times when people come to a club that we're playing they say you know i wasn't feeling so great when i came here but i'm leaving here on a cloud and this is better than going to my psychiatrist no it's true you know it's interesting i i don't know if you saw anything about this maybe a couple of years ago the museum of natural history um, there were a bunch of neurologists in conjunction with, believe it or not, the drummer from the Grateful Dead, <laughs> um, did this whole thing on, on brain waves and how our brain responds to music and to beat. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a podcast with him. And one of the things he talked about was his grandmother, when his grandmother was quite elderly um, and suffered from, I believe it was Alzheimer's, Um, he said you couldn't get her to respond to anything. She Mm. didn't speak. She didn't acknowledge. But he said, "I because I wanted to be with her and I loved her, he said I would bring my drums over and I would just start to play. And all of a sudden, he said you would just see her. Tapping. Start to tap. Wow. And and blink in time with it. Mm-hmm. And so they did this whole study mm. on the human brain and how it responds to vibration mm. in in a very healing way. Yeah. It sets up these neural pathways that that open things up that had been closed. Mm. It was really fascinating. Wow. Yeah, it was, I wish they would um, do something like that again. Because, I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Patty. I, I could talk to you forever, and, um, and perhaps sometime we'll come back and talk about um, how to introduce some of this back to children and into schools, because that whole, again, experiential education, it's one thing to tell them about something. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to allow them to touch it, to hear it, to see it, to feel it, to smell it, all of that. Well... Think some more things, and you ring, and I'll bring. I'll, uh, I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All star closer, Kenley Jansen. We have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.